is taken from John 11, verses 1 through 44. It can be found on page 760 of your Pew Bible. It's a rather long passage today, so we have a few students from our College Fellowship ICF uh, who will be helping me with the reading. So as they get set up, please turn to John 11, verses 1 through 44, page 760 in your Pew Bible. John 11, verses 1 through 44. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he, walks, he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, uh, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will leave, even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. 
It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing here that may, may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Dr. Arthurs. <laughs> good, good to be with you again. My name is Jeff Arthurs. I'm a professor at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. And we are doing a four-week series on the problem of evil. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? And today we have one of the most dramatic stories in the entire Bible. I put it just uh, this side of the resurrection of Jesus. I put it right up there with the crossing of the Red Sea with Moses. A very dramatic story of Jesus raising a man who had been dead for four days. His name is Lazarus. Well, this story is so dramatic that it has captured the attention of artists as we get into this series, week number two, called In a World of Hurt. Here's a painting from uh, the Renaissance time. You see Lazarus uh, bound hand and foot coming out of the tomb, hopping, I suppose. Mary is at his feet. Martha is next to our Lord. Rembrandt painted this scene with his striking use of light and darkness. And even that old uh, unbeliever Van Gogh got in on the story with his pastel colors and swirling lines because there was something about this story. It is so dramatic. A man has been dead for four days, and Jesus says, Come forth. And he comes out bound hand and foot. Not just uh, graphic artists have been captured by this story, but literary artists also, such as Eugene O'Neill, the American playwright. Eugene O'Neill wrote a play called Lazarus Laughs. It's a very interesting premise for a play. Uh, it picks up the story of Lazarus after he has died and been raised, and it you know, traces him through the rest of his life. Did you ever think about what Lazarus did in his second life? And he goes throughout the play laughing. It's not a scornful laugh. It's not a cynical or a self-embarrassed laugh. It's the laugh of somebody who knows something about reality and is no longer afraid. He goes through the story saying to everybody he meets, haven't you heard? Death has died. He gets into a trial with the Jews and he just laughs his way through the trial. Death is dead. He, uh, he gets in a scrape with the Greeks and he's put on trial. He laughs his way. At the end of the story, he's in Rome and he's on trial before Caligula, the evil emperor, and he's just laughing, and Caligula, say, Caligula says, Stop it! 
Don't you know I could have you crucified? I could have you burned at the stake and Lazarus just laughs. It's not a mocking, it's not a challenging laugh, but he knows something that Caligula doesn't know. And he comes up for air and he says, haven't you heard? Death has died. Lazarus in that play was one of those people described in Hebrews that death has no fear for them. Because how can you threaten a man who has died and come back? But as I say, none of this, uh, this laughing and this victory and this, none of this could be possible if Jesus had not dawdled if he had not deliberately delayed going to Lazarus. The title of this message is Divine Dawdling, Strategic Postponement, a Divine Delay. Let me see if I can uh, set the stage for you. Scene one, the first part of the story, takes place, the Bible says, across the Jordan. Can you see the Jordan River? It connects the Sea of Galilee in the north and the Dead Sea in the south. little squiggly line, the Jordan River. Has anybody been there? Anybody? Okay, a few people. And uh, the Bible says that uh, Jesus was across Jordan. Not exactly sure where that was. Probably uh, due uh, east of Jerusalem, maybe somewhere over in this area across the Jordan. Lazarus and Mary and Martha, his sisters, live in Bethany, which is a suburb of Jerusalem, just a couple of miles from Jerusalem. Uh, it's on the other side of the Mount of Olives. If you climb up the Mount of Olives, then you can see all of Jerusalem before you. Today, the city of Bethany is a small Muslim village. Uh, the, the name of the village is Al-Lazareya, the place of Lazarus. And as I say, if you just go up over the hill on the other side of the Mount of Olives, then Jerusalem opens up before you. So whenever Jesus was in the vicinity, whenever he was in Jerusalem, he would stay with his good friends in Bethany, the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And the word comes to him across the Jordan, Mary and Martha have sent a messenger. They've found, the guy has found Jesus about maybe 20 miles away. He's found Jesus. And the word comes and they say, Lazarus is sick. Very sick. Sick unto death. Now what do you think Jesus does when he hears that word? Did you pick up on it when you read the story? The Bible says he stays exactly where he was. Now, why? I mean, if you got word, if you were at work, and if you got word that your child was sick, your parent was sick, wouldn't you jump up and, and go home? If you were on a business trip, wouldn't you get on an earlier flight? Sure you would. Absolutely you would. Because you love them. And the Bible says that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and yet he stays about 20 miles away, across the Jordan. Look at verses 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, that's Mary, and Lazarus. So, verse 6, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, 
he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Why? If you heard someone was sick that you loved, you'd do something about it, but he dawdles deliberately. Why? He says, so that they might believe. He delays because he's a teacher. He deliberately stages this event so that he can teach them a most important lesson. In fact, in verse 15, he says, For your sake, verse 15, I am glad that I was not there, so that you might believe. Believe what? Well, we're not told yet. We're not told yet. In the meantime, Lazarus dies. So Jesus is beyond the Jordan. He's about a day's journey away. So Mary and Martha send a messenger, and then the guy finds Jesus. That takes about a day to get there. Hey, Lazarus is sick. Jesus stays there two more days. That's three days total. And then finally Jesus goes, and he, he, so it's four days now. It takes him about a day to get there. So Lazarus has been in the grave four days by the time Jesus makes his way to Bethany. And that is scene two. That's the second part of our story. The second part of the story does not take place somewhere beyond the Jordan. It takes place in Bethany. So the storyteller, the movie maker, fades to black. Scene two. And as the scene comes into focus, even before you can see with a slow fade up, even before you can see, you start to hear sounds. We find ourselves now in Bethany and you hear the sounds of people wailing, lamentation. As the scene grows and as you're able to make out what's going on, you see figures here dressed completely in black. Some people are throwing dust into the air. Some of them are are beating themselves on the chest. They are lamenting the death of their brother or the death of their friend, Lazarus. We are now in Bethany for scene two. Four days earlier, they have had a funeral. Now, we have our own funeral customs, right? Every culture has its own customs. We have a black car that leads the procession. We have flowers all over the place. Perhaps at the graveside, someone throws in a handful of dirt. They had their own customs four days previously. The men and the women, first century Jewish funeral, The men and the women have walked in procession separately. Women and men, they have walked in procession to the grave, to the tomb. They have had a ceremony there. After the ceremony, the men have returned to their livestock and their fields and their businesses. But the women have gone to the home of the grieving ones. The furniture in the home is turned over and the women sit on the floor and they continue to grieve and to share and to lament for 30 days. 
Now, in my research, I didn't find out if they, if they like, lived there for 30 days or if they sort of came and went, but the, the, this, this lamentation goes on for 30 days. So this is just day four, so the lamentation is in full swing. They've come to the tomb. They've marched in procession. And now they are with Mary and Martha with the upturned furniture uh, lamenting. Verse 21. Martha hears that Jesus has come here to Bethany. And before he even arrives at their house, she runs out to him. Verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. What's his response to her? He says, do you believe? Do you believe? Verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Here's that belief thing again. What's he getting at? What's he, what are we supposed to believe when our whole reality is upturned furniture and black garments and the sounds of wailing and the smells of anointing spices. What are we supposed to believe? When someone breaks into your apartment, when someone scandalously sullies your name, lies about you, when you keep getting rejected for graduate school after school, and you have a sneaking suspicion it's because of something you wrote on your application about believing in the truth and wanting to serve God. When death stares at us, what are we supposed to believe? Jesus has deliberately dawdled, delayed, postponed, dragged his feet for four days so that they would believe. And the lesson is this. I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, you will live. And he has staged this event to teach us in the most dramatic way possible that he has life. He is powerful. And if you want life, you better connect to him. If you want eternal life, if you want resurrection, you'd better believe in him. We'll come back to that. That is the second scene. It takes place in Bethany. And now the third scene. It's not a slow fade to black because the next scene happens immediately after this, maybe a minute or two later, and maybe just, uh, I don't know, 50 yards or 100 yards away from this. So the director takes a jump cut. This scene is done. The next scene opens, and we find ourselves at the tomb itself. Scene number three. And this is what Jesus says at the tomb itself. Verse 38. Jesus was deeply moved. He came to the tomb. 
It was a cave. A stone lay against it, and he said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time, it's been four days, Lord, there... There's an odor. And he said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So, verse 41, they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. I said this on account of those people standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And the man came out. His hands and his feet were bound with linen strips. His face was wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said, Unbind him. Let him go. Jesus has deliberately staged this event because he realizes that the best schoolroom for this lesson is the courtyard in front of a tomb. He is deliberately using tragedy, in this case death, as his teaching assistant to teach us some important lessons. Let me see if I can summarize those lessons. The first one is this. Lesson number one. Simply, believe in him. Believe in him. That is why he has staged this event. Verse 25. Once again. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Do you believe this? The first lesson, the reason he has deliberately dawdled for four days until Lazarus died, and the reason he did not go immediately to heal him, the reason he did not heal him from a distance as he has done with other people, the reason he stays across the Jordan is so they would believe. Believe what? That Jesus is the resurrection and the life And you need to believe in me. You know, that word believe is, is pretty thin in our culture today. You know, I believe, I believe two plus two is four. I believe, um, uh, Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. But in the Bible, when you see the word believe, when Jesus uses the word believe, uh, here with Martha, It's a richer, fuller concept. It means more like depend on, depend on me. And we we use the word like that even in our culture. Believe in me. It means depend on me. Let's say say that our beloved uh, New England Patriots are losing. This may be a little fresh uh, for some of you. It happened one week ago. But just in our imaginations, let's say that they're losing... And uh, there's four seconds left. Time out, time out, time out, time out. 
and they're down by four points, so it doesn't, it's not going to do any good to kick a field goal. They've got to score a touchdown. Timeout, four seconds left. And uh, one play. They've got time for one play. And so Tom Brady goes over to the side, and Belichick gives him the play. And it's an unusual play. And Belichick says, I'm giving you this play because you can pull it off. I believe in you. So Brady goes back to the huddle, and he gives the play. It's kind of a weird play. You wouldn't expect this play. And he can sense, even in the huddle, a little bit, a little stiffening of the spine, a little cocking of the head, a little intake of breath. And Brady says, hey, 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 hey. Believe in me. (laughs) Meaning what? Do what I tell you to do. Don't be running your own play. Don't think, well, my play is better. This is a weird play. Put, your, put yourself in my hands, and I'll carry you home. And Jesus says, if you want resurrection, if you want eternal life, if you want to go through the rest of this life laughing like Eugene O'Neill's Lazarus, believe in me depend on me. You see, you don't have eternal life in yourself. You are a sinner. You have died. The soul that sins will surely die temporally and eternally. You need another source of resurrection life. Guess what? I've got it. I am the life. You want me to prove it to you? Lazarus, come forth. Believe in me. Trust me. Depend on me. And that is the first lesson. If I were you, I would not depend on myself for eternal life. I wouldn't you know, think like, well, I'm a really good person, and when I die, God's going to look at all my good things, and he'll let me in. I wouldn't depend on my own goodness, as vast as it may be. I wouldn't depend on, well, uh, my parents raised me right. and I, I would trust Christ. Lord Jesus, you have resurrection life. Would you share it with me? I don't know exactly how you do it, some spiritual transaction, but would your righteousness, your power, your life become my own possession? I trust you. I depend on you. I believe in you. Do you believe? Are you a believer? If this is still a little bit unclear to you, I know it's a lot to take in. Come up and talk to me afterwards. Let's see if we can, you know, straighten this out and answer some questions. But it is the primary lesson of why Jesus has dawdled. So they would believe. Lesson number two. He uses trials to bring us to faith. And maybe I've implied that already. Maybe that's folded into the first lesson. But let's just be explicit. He uses trials. In this case, he uses death. He uses hard stuff. Your apartment was broken into. Your grandfather has such and such a sickness. You're being rejected for grad school. They're talking about you. It's really really hard, very painful. He can use those things, 
I'm not saying they're pleasant. I'm saying he has a redemptive purpose to, to increase our faith. To increase our faith. Anybody here know judo? I don't know judo. Anybody? Judo? Well, maybe you can tell me if I'm right. I, I understand that the, really the essence of judo is using the other person's uh, strategy and their momentum and their, you know, they try to flip you this way and you just go with that and you flip and you end up flipping them on their back. And God is like the great judo master. Satan comes to you and says, hey, take that! What? And God says, well, <laughs> You, you, this is a pretty consistent teaching in the Bible, but it's a hard one for us to take. God will use trials. And I'm not saying they're good. I'm not saying they're happy. I'm not saying they're... I'm saying one day they will be taken away. But right now, he uses this... And he brings something redemptive out of it. In this case, faith. 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 God has a different value system than we have, doesn't he? Our highest value is comfort and pain and, uh, you know, success and achievement and, and happiness. And, and I'm not saying God is against those things. I'm saying he has a higher value. Faith. Discipleship being a follower of Christ. And he will use trials to do... Well, what, what, what do trials teach us? Well, you know, how does it build my faith? I don't know. Well, think of what trials can teach you that normal life can't teach you. You know, when life's just going on, just fine. But when, when trials hit us, it teaches us our frailty. A most valuable lesson. Now, most of you are young people, and you don't feel frail. And, and truth be told, you, you're pretty strong and healthy. Trust me, you're frail. The smallest microbe, the most unlooked-for mechanical disaster, the most unexpected terrorist attack can lay us low. And trials pull back the curtain on reality. And we see, wow, I thought I was indestructible. I thought, oh, I am the master of the universe. No. Mm -mm. You got mixed up. That's God that's the master of the universe. You are frail. You need a savior. And trials teach us that. They teach us that in a way that, you know, regular life really can't teach us. Think of what else trials can do. They teach us our frailty. They teach us our finality. You're going to die. You may not think about it much. I know it's not popular in our culture to talk about it, but trials sort of open our minds and our eyes like, I'm like Lazarus. I'm going to die someday. I better get ready now. I better live now in light of dying then. And trials have a way of imparting this kind of wisdom. And Jesus is willing to allow tragedy, in this case death, in order to increase our wisdom 
our faith, our knowledge, our frailty, our finality, our future. Will you let trials do that for you? Will you let God, through your trials, impart this wisdom to you? Or will your heart grow hard? God, what is this? God, you're mean. God, forget this Christianity. I'm out of here. Remember, Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And he dawdled. Why did he dawdle? To increase their faith. To help them believe. So we've got two lessons. The first one is that he wants us to believe that he is the resurrection and the life and thus gain that same eternal life ourselves. Second lesson is he uses trials to bring us to that point. And here's the third lesson. When he does so, he weeps. This is the shortest verse in the Bible. If you ever are in a Bible memory quiz, this this is a good one. The shortest verse in the Bible. Verse, uh, what is it, verse 35? Verse 33 says, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved, he was greatly troubled, and he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, Look how he loved him. Let me show you something uh, to me was very striking when I first learned this. Remember verses 5 and 6? We read it in the NIV. Uh, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he was across the Jordan and he stayed, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there where he was. See that word, yet? It's not a good translation. I don't know why they've translated it with the word yet. It should be translated, therefore. Jesus loved them. Therefore, he dawdled. But my point here is that when he does this divine delay, he does not do so with a hard heart, kind of calloused, kind of capricious, like, ah, whatever, here, this is good for you. Ha, that's a good one, that hurt. Here's another one. He does it with a broken heart, deeply troubled, agitated in spirit, He comes to the tomb and he's weeping with everyone else. Wouldn't you think he kind of would have a twinkle in his eye? Like, oh boy, you guys, I know you're really sad right now. Hang on, we've got about 30 seconds. Hang on, you're going to love... He weeps. Now, why does he weep? Because he sympathizes. He himself is a citizen of this world of hurt. He knows all about it. He knows the cramping restrictions of life. He was born in a stable. They labeled him as illegitimate. 
He went around doing good and they lied about him. It came to the end of his life and they had these trumped up charges. This kangaroo court, they bounced him from here to here to here and they lied about him. He died a shameful, embarrassing, let alone painful death. He knows all about trials. What a friend we have in Jesus who all our sorrows shares. And he comes to the tomb. And he weeps. And there you have a full-orbed theology of suffering. Yes, he uses trials. Yes, he is sovereign over the trials. Yes, he wants to increase your faith. Yes, he has a higher value system than just happiness and pleasure and all that. Yes, but when he does this, He's not only glad for our sake, he weeps. And I don't know what you're going through. I don't know. Each of us has our own trials. Every person in here, each of us has our own. But I do know that if you believe in Jesus, he is calling you to a higher level of faith and trust He is using those trials with sovereign power for your good and His glory. But when He does so, it is with full sympathy, an awareness of your pain, and He weeps. And that is the lesson the lesson that we learn standing at the tomb of Lazarus on how to persevere in this world of hurt. Our gracious Heavenly Father, help us to trust you. Especially help us trust you in the midst of pain. Increase our faith. And thank you that we have such a good Savior, such a sympathetic high priest. He is not just God, he is the God-man, and he knows all about this crazy, mixed-up world of hurt. We believe in him. Please increase our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.